in 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll be reading verse 18 through verse 2 of chapter 4. The word of our Lord says, Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to Him. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word to our hearts, to our minds to our wills, to our very selves. May we be challenged through your word. May we be strengthened through it. May we be encouraged through it. We pray all this in the name of your son Jesus, your eternal and living word, Amen. Last week we were looking at uh, the subject of adoption into the family of God. And being brought into a family, you receive certain blessings. There are blessings that are a part of being part of a family. They come along with being in that family. They are benefits to us. The language last week from Paul in his letter to the Galatians were that we have been made heirs with Christ. We've been brought into God's family and as being members of that family, there is an inheritance for us, a blessing beyond our imagination. A blessing that is not merely summed up with an afterlife. But there are blessings even now of being part of God's family. And the blessings of the life that is to come, we can't even get our minds fully around. Anyone who tells you they know exactly what heaven's going to be like, they're lying to you. Or they're trying to get money from you or something. I don't know what they're doing. But the Scriptures tell us that our minds can't even comprehend the blessings that God has in store for us. He's brought us into His family. And He's made us to be beneficiaries of His blessings. That's the the legal language 
You know, when, when you take out a life insurance policy, or you take out any type of insurance policy, I suppose, you have beneficiaries that are listed. And sometimes those beneficiaries don't even know that they've been listed as beneficiaries. Sometimes those beneficiaries are young children, babies. God has brought us into His family, and He's made us to be partakers of His blessings, the blessings of being part of that family. In Paul's theology of God's redemption of us, he cannot pull that theology away from this idea of baptism. He talks about how we've been buried with Christ in baptism. We've been raised up to new life in baptism. Peter here kind of doubles down on that idea of baptism. And notice what he says. He says that it is actually baptism that saves us. Now that may sound crazy to us. That may sound weird. That may sound like baptismal regeneration. But Peter says that he he invokes this idea of the time of Noah and what was taking place. And notice he says that Jesus died in the flesh but was alive in the Spirit and went to preach to souls in bondage. He says those souls were from the days of Noah when the ark was being prepared. What all he's trying to say there, I don't know. But it's there in the text. There it is. We can't just ignore it. We can't gloss over it. We can't act like it's not there. It's there. He says that Jesus went and preached to those souls in bondage. He then brings up the number eight. The early church grabbed onto that number. Peter's language here that there were eight souls, namely or numberingly eight, who were saved through water. And so the early church said that eight is, is representative in their worship life of baptism. And so at, at Christmas, you've got the little eight-pointed star on a Christmas tree, and it, it reminds us of the star of Bethlehem, but it reminds us also of baptism, simply because of this mentioning of eight souls being saved through water in the days of Noah. But Peter then says there is an antitype. That is not a type against something, but a type that follows something. There is an antitype which now saves us, Baptism. Well, hello. What he says about baptism is that baptism is not merely some bath. He says it's not just the removal of flesh. It's the answer of a good conscience toward God. We speak of baptism as a sacrament. It's a mysterious work of grace by which we're brought in to God's family. We're brought into the life and the worship of the church. We are casting our lot, so to speak, with God's family. I want to be a part of that. And it's a a mysterious way in which God does that work. The word sacrament is a mystery. God is doing something. And we see it in the tangible form of water. 
And God is bringing us into the family. He's bringing us into the fold, the sheepfold. We speak of baptism as an announcement. It is a declaration that we are not our own, but are members of God's family. This life I live is no longer mine. I'm in that family. But what of infant baptism? Well, baptism's not just about the faith of man, but instead it's about the faithfulness and the grace of God to us in Christ. As we bring a baby or a child into baptism, we are saying, this child is not merely ours. We have received him as a gift from God, and God will be faithful. That's why you read of family baptism. In the book of Acts, all throughout the book of Acts, you have whole families, whole households being baptized. The servants and their kids as well. Because the announcement being made, the declaration was that we are a Christian family and we will live as a Christian family. And as long as we are a Christian family and as long as mommy and daddy are going to be Christian parents, then this house is going to run like a Christian family. You know, it's interesting what we've done with not just baptism, but with this idea of living a Christian life in the, the modern world. We have so separated it from the church and we have so separated it from family and parenting and we've separated it from any, anything outside of a single individual. So much so that we're willing to live, to raise our children to be children of Satan and one day have some grand crisis and give their lives to Jesus. We would rather that because then we've got some monument, some, some marker to set up. In raising children, we are either raising children of the Father or we're raising children of the devil. In baptism, we announce that we're a part of God's family. That our life is but a gift from Him. That our children are but gifts from Him. And that we will live in covenant faithfulness with Him. Because baptism we speak of also as a covenant. The Scriptures are very plain that children are natural beneficiaries of Christ's atonement. As John Wesley said, no man enters hell apart from his own choosing. In baptism, we are being marked, we are being brought into covenant relationship with God. Now we can break covenant. We can abandon covenant. We can 
neglect our covenantal vows to God, just as we can abandon and break and, 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 and ignore our covenantal vows toward one another. But being brought into covenant, we find that the sign of baptism, which is a marked entrance into a different life, which cannot be undone. You can't undo a covenant. It's done. You can break it. You can abandon it. You can ignore it. You can act as though it never happened. But you cannot undo it. You can undo tattoos. You can take them away. You can't undo the fact that it originally happened. In baptism, we're being brought into covenant. And Christian families, Christian homes, really are fundamentally different than other homes. There are advantages to being raised in a Christian context. Now, that does not give Christian families the right to be egotistical or to look down upon others. If so, then... How Christian are they? We've got a major problem. But there, there are undeniable advantages to being raised as a citizen of the United States of America as opposed to a citizen of Ethiopia. Now you would say, of course, Pastor, that's obvious. Well, there are obvious and undeniable benefits of being raised within the context of a Christian home. Just as there are undeniable and obvious advantages of being raised in any home. To have a home is better than to be homeless. To have a family is better than to not have a family. That's life. One of the things that that always strikes me about um, being brought into the family of God is that in family, you've always got that crazy uncle. You know? The uncle that's moderately embarrassing or maybe the uncle that's, uh, that'll say or do anything, the, the uncle that likes to push the buttons, maybe the uncle that's just rude. You know, there's always crazy relatives in a, in a family. And there are crazy relatives in the Christian family. We happen to, to house a, a, a significantly high population of them uh, per capita in our congregation because we're all crazy. But when you're in a family, you can't just abandon the family. Now you can be embarrassed by it and you can ignore it and you can kind of grow out of it and think I'm just going to move on in life and put that life behind me. Yeah, I was raised in a Christian family. Yeah, you know, technically I've been brought into covenant with God, but I'm just going to live as though that never happened. But the fact is, 
the blood is still there. The mark is still there. That is not me trying to preach eternal or unconditional eternal security. That is me simply saying you cannot undo covenant. You can walk away from it. You can abandon it. And you can break it. But you can't undo it. It's like Israel in the Old Testament. That's not fair. God chose Israel out of all the peoples of the earth. What about everybody else? Well, God never said ever that all of the other people were not going to make it to heaven. Nor did He say that everybody within Israel was going to make it to heaven. He said, these are my covenantal people and I will relate to them in a way that I'm not relating to Egypt because they have entered covenant. They have sworn allegiance to Me. They have claimed Me to be their king. And they better be good citizens. When we speak of being brought into covenant with God and we speak of pledging ourselves as being part of His family, being His people, we've entered into His family as beneficiaries of being part of that family. We typically think of those blessings and benefits as being wonderful things. But there's kind of an other side to being a blessed person. We, uh, throughout the sports world, for the last several months, there, there's been a lot of talk about how haters be hating and how we, we don't like it when people are successful and good and constantly good and constantly successful. And if they're good looking on top of that, we really like to cheer against them in sports, especially if they're not on our team. Now, if they're on our team, they're okay. But that's, that's the way of the world. We don't like seeing other people's blessings. We don't like seeing other people getting ahead while we're struggling. That always hurts. Peter tells us that because we have been brought into the family, because we have been baptized, that there's suffering that awaits us. There's a flip side to being brought into the blessings. Suffering's coming. We have been marked through baptism. We've been set apart. We've been labeled as different. And Peter says that Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. And if He suffered, then we know too that we will suffer. And so he makes it undeniable to His hearers, that suffering will come. Some will suffer more than others. Some will suffer to the point of death. But some measure of suffering is coming. You cannot, you cannot expect to escape any and all suffering 
by claiming that you're a part of God's family. According to the New Testament, if anything, that's marking yourself for suffering. Paul spoke of filling up what was lacking in the sufferings of Christ in his own flesh. Peter wants us to be warned that suffering's coming. We've been marked. We've been labeled. We've been set apart. And suffering's coming. But then he tells us, quite simply, stop sinning. And he does it in a parenting type of language. You ever notice that uh, what parents say to their kids when their kid does something they shouldn't do? You know, Aiden hits his brother. Sorry, Aiden. Aiden hits his brother, and what am I going to say to him? I'm probably going to say something like, we don't hit in this family. What are you talking about? You're lying, Dad. I just hit and I'm in this family. See, it's a rhetorical device. We don't lie in this family. We don't talk back to our mom in this family. Those things are all spoken in response to hitting and lying and talking back. But it's a way of shaping a child to think differently so that he will act differently. To realize, I'm in a family and there are certain expectations that come within being part of that family. Was it Julius Caesar, David, that uh, met a coward on the battlefield and he asked him what his name was? He, he brought him, he was, this man had abandoned his post and he was captured and he was brought back before, I think it was Julius Caesar. Alexander the Great, there you go. And he said, boy, what's your name? My name's Alexander. You'd better change your name or you'd better change your ways. Thank you, David. Peter says, those who have suffered in the flesh, those who have been brought into this family that is going to face suffering, they've stopped sinning. Stop it. Quit. That's not how this family lives. That's not how we behave in covenant. You've been marked through baptism. You've been brought into the blessings of God. And Peter wants us to know that suffering's coming. He wants us to stop sinning. And he tells us that we should arm ourselves. Arm yourselves. Notice how he tells us we're to arm ourselves. We're to arm ourselves with this same mind. With the mind of Christ. To begin thinking as Christ thinks. To begin seeing the world as Jesus sees it. To to begin living a life that gives of ourselves for the sake of others. 
That's the context here. Christ suffered for sins. The just given for the unjust. So that He might bring us to God. Not so that He might do something for Himself. Not so that He might glorify Himself. But so that He might expand the family of God. He suffered for us. His intentions were toward us. His will was toward us. His love was directed toward us. And when Peter says that suffering's coming, he tells us that we ought to stop sinning by arming ourselves. Arming ourselves with the mind of Christ. Again, when we're raising children, it's not enough just to correct behavior. You have to shape the mind. You have to cause them to start thinking differently. To start thinking about how their actions affect others. Otherwise they'll become a sociopath. Literally. To start thinking about other people. To not live just in the impulse of what self wants. Self wants to not get in trouble. Trouble self lies. Self wants to get back, so self hits. Self wants to express anger toward mom, so self talks back. Peter, in speaking to us in a fatherly way, tells us that's not how the family lives. The family thinks like the head of the family. And therefore the family acts like the head of the family. And Christ, as the head of the church, is the head of the family of God. We've been brought into that family. We've been brought into that blessing. And it's a blessing with untold benefits. What God has in store for us as His people is innumerable and inexpressible. And it will only be hindered by our will. And if we dig in our hills, and if we say, I'm not going to live like that, I'm not going to be that type of person, I'm not going to live like the family, I'm going to do my own thing, There's suffering ahead. I think we can safely assume that there's suffering ahead for each of us. We know that the church has suffered in the past century more than all the centuries combined before it. We know, we see on Facebook and Twitter and throughout all the news media, that the church is facing unspeakable suffering around the world. Peter wants us to know that if we're going to be in the family, it's a family that suffers. It's a family that stops sinning. It's a family that has armed itself by thinking like Jesus. Let's pray.